0: Dave. Well, good morning. My name's Grant. That was nice. A bit more awake than the 915 congregation here at 11. Hey, good to be here. My name's Grant. I'm one of the pastors here. And as we jump into God's Word, uh, we need God's help. I need God's help. So will you join with me in prayer? Gracious Lord, you have caused all Scripture to be written for our learning. Help us so to hear them, read them. Mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that encouraged and supported by your Holy Word, we may embrace and always hold fast to the joyful hope of everlasting life, which you yourself have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, in 1851, this man made a discovery that changed Australia forever. Does anyone know what this man found? Gold, that's right. This man's name is Edward Hargraves and is believed to be uh, one of the first people to find gold in Australia in a town near Orange. And what he discovered was five specks of gold. And that discovery changed Australia forever because people all of a sudden started to rush to Australia on uh, the hunt for gold. In fact, in the same year, a poem was published in a Melbourne newspaper. Uh, Here's just one of the stanzas of that poem. It says, To the Diggins hundreds hurried, with hot haste and reckless speed, To the dangers of the journey, blinded by their grasping greed. In the next 20 years after that discovery, the population of Australia quadrupled as people flooded to Australia to find gold. In fact, um, around that time, the population of Surrey Hills went from 800 homes to 5,300 homes. And during the gold rush, uh, people discovered more than just those five specks of gold. Uh, there was much gold to be found. In fact, this is believed to be one of the biggest nuggets of gold found in Australia. Um, The photo there says 630 pounds. I don't think that was all gold, but in that they found 95 kilograms of gold, which in modern day terms is believed to be about $5.2 million worth of gold. That is a pretty good discovery if you ask me. Uh, But what the gold rushes of Australia teach us is that humanity is hardwired to chase after treasure, hardwired to go after the accumulation of treasure. And today, not many of us are chasing gold, I don't think, if you are, good on you. But for many of us, the treasures are different. For many of us, we chase after things like wealth or possessions or success or recognition. Or pleasure and we chase after these things with the same force that people chased after gold in the gold rushes of Australia some 100 years ago and here's the thing if you've been longer have life for longer than just a few years you will know that chasing after these treasures feels a little bit like trying to grab onto smoke you know you get so close and you reach out and you grab but it just vanishes in your hands as you get it. You know, you try and get wealth, but you get some and you just want more, or you get some success, but you just want a little bit more, or you have an experience of pleasure and then you just want to go on to the next one. And I think this is helpfully summed up by two quotes from Madonna and Jim Carrey. Here we go, Madonna. This is what she said in her reflection on her success in life. One of the most wealthy, successful people in history. She says, My drive in life comes from fear of being mediocre. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel I am mediocre, I still am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Even though I have become somebody. I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. There's Madonna, one of the most successful people on the planet, describing her life and her pursuit of success like grabbing smoke. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Or take this quote from Jim Carrey. He says, I would think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. There's Jim Carrey, one of the most rich, successful, famous people in the world saying, you know, I wish everyone could just get rich and famous and have everything they ever wanted because when they get it, they'll realize it's not the answer. You see, both Madonna and Jim Carrey here are putting their finger on the elusive nature of the treasures we chase after in modern society. You get some and you just want more. You're never fully satisfied. In fact, such is the nature of our chasing of these treasures that uh, in our search to possess these things, more often than not, they actually end up possessing us. So great is our desire for wealth, our desire for success and pleasure and accomplishment that they end up having a chokehold on our life. We just want more and more and more and it's never enough. Even for Madonna and Jim Carrey, certainly not for me. I imagine not for yourself either. But this morning we just had read for us two accounts of people that discover a treasure so valuable of such immense worth that when they find it, they stop searching altogether. Such is its value that they know there is nothing else that will bring greater satisfaction and purpose in their life. Such is the value of this treasure that anything else that they find after it will pale in comparison to what it is worth. Uh, It's for that reason that I've called this sermon How to Get Rich. Anyone want to get rich? Rich. This morning? No one? Viana? Just Viana? Okay. Josiah? A little bit? Okay. Well, let's find out. Um, If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you'll know that we're in the book of Matthew, biography of the life of Jesus, talking about the things that he said and did. And we've been in uh, parables, metaphors that Jesus has been using to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. And if you're a scientist or an engineer or someone that's a concrete thinker, it's quite likely you've found the last few weeks pretty frustrating. Because Jesus never gives a clear, concrete description of what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like you ask Jesus, like, what's the kingdom of heaven like? And he goes, yeah, it's kind of like um, a seed in a field. And people are like, okay, can you give me some more detail? It's like, oh, right, it was kind of like um, a mustard seed. You plant it in the ground, it starts off small, and it gets bigger. People are still there scratching their head. Okay, well, can you fill out the picture a little bit more? It's like, all right, it's a little bit like um, treasure hidden in a field. Or it's a little bit like um, a, a net that gathers up a bunch of fish. And if you've been with us for long enough, you're starting to think, like, when is he just going to tell me what the kingdom of heaven actually is? When will I get the clear-cut definition? But what Jesus has been doing for the past few weeks in the book of Matthew is he's actually been painting a picture for us about what the kingdom of heaven is like. You know, I could, if you asked, what does Dave Fox look like? I could give you a description of a handsome man with um, dark hair, but Uh, That description's not really going to do it justice. You're like, I still wouldn't really know how to pick Dave Fox in a crowd. What would be more helpful is if I showed you a photo of him or painted a picture. You wouldn't want to see a picture that I've painted of Dave Fox. That would be terrible. But if someone showed you a picture of Dave Fox, that would be so much more helpful for us to understand what he looked like. And so it is with what Jesus is doing with the kingdom of heaven. He is painting us a picture with parables and metaphors to not just describe what it's like, but actually to show us what it's like so that we could uh, see it, understand it, uh, connect emotionally with it, experience it. And these parables that Jesus tells us, they're not just designed to kind of give us a thought that we then just stop having to think about it altogether, but they actually cause us to think about it even more, to go away and ponder it, to dwell on it, to meditate on it even more. And that's what he does once more in today's passage. Now, if you are just a concrete thinker, you want just a clear, concise definition, let me try and give you something that might not do it complete justice. But if you want to know about the kingdom of heaven, just think, who is the king of the kingdom? Jesus is the King of the Kingdom of Heaven. And so life in the Kingdom of Heaven is life lived under the rule and the reign of Jesus. That is what the Kingdom of Heaven, that's part of what the Kingdom of Heaven is and what life in it is like. Well, let's continue to fill out that painting. We're going to look at three things today, the nature of the Kingdom, our response to the Kingdom, and the value of the Kingdom. Here we go. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 44. You um, might want to have your Bible open in front of you I have it up on your phone as we jump through it. Uh, Verse 44 Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The kingdom of heaven is immensely valuable. And we see today it's worth any sacrifice. Can you imagine a laborer working in someone's backyard doing their garden or some landscaping or something like that? And as they're digging, their spade hits uh, something hard, and they move away the soil, and they discover a large suitcase. And as they open up this large suitcase, they find wads, fat wads of $100 bills like you see in the movies. And they estimate it's worth something like $5 million. What does that laborer do? Well, they go home, they hop on Facebook Marketplace and they start to sell everything they own in order to purchase this property and along with it get that suitcase. They sell their ute, they sell their tools, they find their like rare vinyl collection. Hey. This is my daughter, Evie. (laughs) All right, is your mum up the back? (laughs) Going to chill out with me a bit. All right, Sarah, can you take her? Thank you. Um, She's a sweetie. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is like a man that goes and finds that suitcase. He sells everything that he owns. He sells his ute. He sells his tools. He sells the clothes on his back. He sells his, like curated vinyl collection. He sells the Pokemon cards that he had as a kid that are now worth a bunch of money. He sells his phone. And then once he's sold everything that he has in his possession on Facebook Marketplace, he puts the laptop up that he's been using to sell everything to sell that to. And then he goes to the owner of this property and offers him everything that he has in order to purchase this property and get it and by doing so receive this wealth of money in this suitcase. The kingdom of heaven is of immense value. Jesus then goes on to tell another story about a merchant that's on the search for pearls. And he comes across a pearl that he's never seen something as valuable before, worth so much that he sells everything that he owns in order to get this one pearl. He sells his car, he sells his house. He sells presumably he would have had a collection of pearls that he had before this and so he sells all of those pearls, and then finds, gets all his money together, goes to the person dealing this pearl and takes it and buys it with everything that he has. That is how valuable this pearl was. The kingdom of heaven is of immense value. See, the man in the field stumbles upon the treasure by sheer accident, by happenstance, whereas the the merchant has been on a lifelong quest and pursuit of pearls. One finds it by accident, the other finds it after a lifelong search, but they both come across an incredible treasure. And I wonder what it was like for you when you first heard about the kingdom of God, when you first learnt about Jesus. Some of us, uh, in fact, some people at Vine Church, sitting in this room today, came here because they walked past the sign and just decided to walk on in, grab a seat and hear about Jesus. And they gave their life to Christ as a result of hearing the good news about him. Others of us first heard about Jesus after we were on a lifelong pursuit of meaning and satisfaction and purpose. And we looked at everything, surveyed all of the different religions or worldviews, all of the information, and eventually we came across the treasure that is the gospel of Jesus and we heard about its value and put our trust in him as a result. Some of you might be sitting here not yet a follower of Jesus and you're sitting here because you did just see the sign and for some reason decided to walk in and join us this morning or maybe others of you are here because you are searching thoroughly for the meaning and purpose of life. You need to know whoever you are that the value of the kingdom of heaven is so great that its worth outweighs anything else you will ever come across. Both the man in the field and the merchant, when they found their treasure, they looked at it, they saw it, and they thought, this is going to cost me everything. And they thought to themselves, that's nothing. Everything that I have to get this is like nothing compared to what I will receive in return. So great is the value of kingdom. They would pay anything They would give everything up and it would seem like a very small price to pay. Let's try an experiment. Um, I would love to offer you the opportunity to buy a Corvette. Here we go. This is a Corvette Matchbox car. It has blue windows and the doors actually open. It's pretty cool. Um, Would anyone like to buy this Matchbox car from me today for the price of $50? Anyone? The wheels move. No. Okay. Would anyone like to buy from me my car? This is a Rav Four, about thirty thousand k's on it, serviced recently, and you can have my car for the price of fifty dollars. Anyone? A <laughs> couple of people. Yeah. You're like, all right. That sounds like a pretty good deal. What's going on there? Well, you can't actually have it. It's my car. Um, I'll give you this instead. What's going on? $50 for like a, a toy car. You're like, that is rip off. Like I'm not sacrificing $50 for that Corvette. But my car, you're like, $50 seems like nothing to get an actual car. And so it is with these two people and the kingdom of God. They're like, This, everything seems like nothing compared to what I will get in return. In fact, look at the man's response in verse 44 that finds the treasure in the field. It says, when a man found it, he hid it again, and get this, in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought it. He counted it a joy to put up everything that he possessed on Facebook Marketplace because he knew what he was going to get in return. It was a joy. It wasn't in gritting his teeth. He gave up everything. No, in his joy, he sold all that he had. That's how valuable he considered the treasure to be. And that is how valuable life lived under the rule and reign of Jesus is for us. Worth everything. To experience it. That is the nature of the kingdom. What about our response to the kingdom? Jesus goes on to tell another parable, the parable of the net. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it would be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says there will be um, a day that will come where there will be good fish collected into baskets and the bad will be thrown away. He says this is what it will be like at the end of the age. The wicked will. Be separated from the righteous, and the wicked will be thrown into a blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, whether the the parables of the hidden treasure and the hidden pearl cause us to think about the value of the kingdom, the parable of the net and the fisherman cause us to think about how we will respond to the kingdom. What will our response be? Jesus, in quite a somber way, finishes up this series of parables by reminding us about the eternal nature and significance of the kingdom of heaven. And he says, everyone, everyone in this room, everyone on the planet, everyone that has ever lived is heading in one of two directions. Eternal joy or eternal weeping. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or immortal splendors. We are all immortal beings, and the question that this parable of the net and the fish um, causes us to ask is... Will we hold on to our own lives and our own possessions and so at the end of the age be thrown into the blazing furnace or will we give it up for life with Jesus? After hearing this parable, it seems like a pretty easy choice, doesn't it, about what we should choose or where we should go. Tim Keller um, sums that up. By saying, if you seek God as the non negotiable good of your life, sorry, if you seek God as the non negotiable good of your life, you will get happiness thrown in. If, however, you aim mainly at personal happiness, you will get neither. Two choices God as the non negotiable good of our life, or, and then we get happiness thrown in, or happiness as the main thing that we pursue. And like grasping smoke, we do not end up getting it and we get nothing in return. You see, the thing that matters most is not whether you've lived a good life or a bad life, not whether you've grown up, not your age or your ethnicity. The thing that matters most is how you will respond to coming across the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. There is a decision that needs to be made, not based on what you've done, but on whether you've found that treasure and whether you've gone all in on it. How we respond to the kingdom of heaven genuinely matters. Lastly, the value of the kingdom. I want to tell you how to get rich. How to get rich. Not really. i Just wanted to get your attention. I cannot give you investment advice. I'm not the person that you would want to go to for that. You'd have a bad time. But if I was to try and give you some investment advice, I think this is sound. Um, Ask an accountant or something. Chat to Nathan, you know, he'll he'll hook you up. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is right. Whenever you go to make an investment, you want to make sure that there will be a return on your investment. A good investment is where you actually don't just put in money, you get money back. A bad investment is where you put money in and you get nothing in return. And so when we consider the treasures of our lives that we are chasing after of wealth, possessions, success, accomplishment, pleasure, we need to stop and do an audit of those things and ask, are these things that I'm investing in giving me a good return on that investment? Now, I've never been to a casino before. If you have no judgment. But I recently came across a phenomena in the gambling industry known as uh, losses disguised as wins. Losses disguised as wins. This is a particular mechanic in pokey machines where, um, you know, when I just finished high school, I went to the Blue Gum Hotel in Hornsby uh, and I'd eat my chicken schnitzel and chips. And in the corner, there was a whole bunch of pokey machines. And, you know, every now and then you'd see the machines light up, the lights flashing, you'd hear the alarms and the celebrations and people around would start to cheer and get excited about the win that this person had received. And losses disguised as wins, here's how it works. You go to the machine, you put in your dollar, you hit the button, the slot starts to fire up and roll around and then finally when it gets to the last one, it slows right down and you're getting excited to see what will happen and clicks over, the machine lights up. It's flashing. It's celebrating. There's sounds going on. The people around you start to tune. It's like, you have won 80 cents. Celebrating. You've won 80 cents. It's like, hang on. I put in a dollar. I got 80 cents. I actually lost 20 cents. This is a loss disguised as a win. This is why Uh, Casinos exist because people aren't just robbing them dry of their money. And this is why uh, the gambling industry is such a leech on our society because it works. People see, they get excited about losing money. They're putting money in and they're getting less back every time, but they think they're winning. And so it is with the treasures in our life. We think we're winning. We think we're getting money back. But in reality, the things of life are just sucking us dry, bleeding the bank account. You know, maybe you thought to yourself, I'm just going to give one year of my life. I'm going to work hard. Like my relationships are going to suffer. My attendance at church and community group will suffer. My ability to spend time with God will suffer. But I'm going to work hard for one year to just earn the respect and the experience in my job so I can then use it to get another job somewhere else in a different role that'll be a bit more cruisy. And maybe you're like, you're three or four in now and you are still working hard, just trying to chase after this thing that you thought you needed. But in reality, it is sucking life from you. It is bleeding you dry. Your relationships are terrible. Your work experience you hate. Your your attendance at church is, you know, patchy at best. And your relationship with God is seriously suffering. Losses disguised as wins. Or maybe you're here from overseas. You, know, you moved here a year or two ago and you thought, you know, I, I don't really like my life where I am, so I'm going to flee to Australia, get a new job, make some new friends, have some good experiences, enjoy the sun and the beach. And you're here and you're like, oh, I'm actually lonelier than when I left because I don't have any friends in Australia. And you hear and you realise the baggage that I thought I left behind at home has actually followed me because my personality hasn't changed since moving countries. My family of origin hasn't changed. My experience hasn't changed. And so now I'm here alone in Australia having to figure out Uh, life being lonely and unhappy and miserable, losses disguised as wins. What is it for you in life that you are chasing after as a treasure that is just sucking life from you? You are not getting a return on your investment, but you need to slow down and realize that. Take an audit of your life and ask, how's it going? You see, this morning the good news is there is a priceless treasure found in life lived under the rule and reign of Jesus. And even as I say that, even as I've been speaking this morning, some of you are thinking, that's great, but my experience of Jesus feels a lot less like finding a hidden treasure in a field and a lot more like finding hidden costs in buying a secondhand car. Like you you go in on this thing and then you're like, oh, I need to get the brakes changed or the mechanics telling me I need like a new drive belt or a catalytic converter and I don't even know what that is, but you know... (laughs) should probably do it, but it's going to cost a lot of money. Maybe that's your experience of faith or Christianity. Maybe you feel tired or burdened or weary or burnt out in your faith. Or maybe as you look at Christianity, you think, that just seems like I'm buying more than I really want to. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, and now I'm going to be told, like the man in the field, to just sell everything, give up everything, grit my teeth and bear it, sacrifice all that I have to go in on Jesus. But that's actually not what happens in the story. You see, the man discovers the treasure before he sacrifices everything for it. The discovery comes before the sacrifice. You see, the weird thing about this passage is the, the wealth of the treasure, what it's actually worth, the value is never described. Like it doesn't say, open up the treasure and here's what it was or here's how much money it was worth or here's what he found or here's what type of pearl it was or here's how much he got for it. It just says that they found it and they knew it was worth everything. Can you imagine for a second this guy? coming across this giant nugget of gold. Do you think he needed someone to come up beside him as he was digging the dirt away from it and say, oh, that's gold. You know that? That is AU on the periodical table. That means that this is a rare and precious metal, and so it's worth a lot of money. And so that's pretty big. That's a big nugget. That's a lot of gold, so that's worth a lot of money. No, he would have come across this giant nugget of gold and just, not, I mean, he wouldn't have even known how much it was worth. But he would have been saying to his friends, come here, let's dig this up. We have come across an incredible wealth of gold and money. And the point I'm trying to make is some of us have taken our eyes off of Jesus. And some of us have uh, mistaken something that Christianity isn't for it. And my encouragement for you this morning is discover Jesus again. Discover Jesus again, or maybe for the first time. And as you lay eyes on him, as you spend time with him, read the accounts of his life, take a copy of Matthew's gospel and pour over it yourself, you will read of a man that treasures you. You see, the man in the field came across a treasure so valuable that in his joy he gave up everything that he had to get it. Well, Jesus Treasures you. And in fact, the book of Hebrews says, get this, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross with joy set before him. Like, what? Who would do that? What is that joy set before him? It's you. You were the joy set before Jesus that led him to leave the comforts of heaven, to give up everything that he had, to seek you out, to find you, and to be with you. And he did it all in joy. That is the God that we worship. That is the Jesus I want to invite you to discover afresh and anew this morning, to behold him, to see him. The discovery comes before the sacrifice. If you find yourself thinking this just seems like too much or too hard, you have not found the treasure. When you find it, when you discover it, everything will seem like nothing. I want to end by telling you a story about a woman whose name is Helen Lemmel. I'll invite the band up as they come up. Helen was born in England in the 19th century And in her 40s, she um, came into an affliction that ended up with her losing her sight. She became blind. And um, tragically, in her blindness, her husband deserted her, left her. And so she was Helen in her 40s with no husband, with no sight. And she ended up living in um, government accommodation in a very sparse room. She had very little earthly treasures to her name. Uh, but she was a Christian, she followed Jesus, and her friends would come and visit her in her accommodation, and they would ask her, Helen, how are you? And her response would always be the same. She would say, I am well in the things that count. I am well in the things that count. You see, Helen knew where her treasure really was, and that everything else just was insignificant compared to it. In fact, in her blindness, Helen ended up writing uh, almost 500 hymns. And I want to share with you uh, the most famous hymn Helen wrote. Uh, This is the chorus from that hymn. Bear in mind, this is a blind woman who's lost everything she has in extreme grief, extreme loss and sadness. She writes this. She says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, maybe you're here this morning, and you have been chasing after treasures that are actually sucking life from you. I want to encourage you, turn your eyes to Jesus, and the things of this world will start to look strangely dim, in the light of who he is. Or maybe you're here and you've you're feeling tired and worn out in your faith. And I encourage you, look to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon him. Gaze at his wonderful face. And the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of who he is. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, for those of us here today who have taken our eyes off of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, help us discover you afresh this week, this day, even right now in this moment as we respond to you in song. Help us enjoy, trade our earthly treasures, our small ambitions, our very lives for the treasure of life lived under the rule and reign of Jesus. And for those of us today who don't yet follow you, who've perhaps stumbled into church or been on a lifelong search for treasure, I pray that right here and right now, they would see the the immense wealth and value of the treasure that you hold out to them and that they might take hold of it for the very first time. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand?